Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is Make It Pine. M.I.P. With Massimella Mark Thompson. Make It Pine. Get woke. Folks, the, even as the pandemic seems to wane, the police-demic rages on. One organization, one movement that is doing a great amount of work to help us to save us to make sure our lives matter of course is m4bl the movement for black lives our brother who's the national director for organizing he's also the national director of the working families party as well we're happy to have him here brother maurice mitchell my brother how are you i'm i'm doing well brother it's good to be here it's it's a pleasure to uh to have you so let's start this way a lot of discussion on George Floyd, justice and policing. And there's some who even want to water that down. But if we had our preference, if we had our preference, which is also M4BL's pre- preference, we'd really be talking about the Breathe Act, wouldn't we? That's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, the reality is that in the Justice and Policing Act, um, you know, and you know, I believe that there were people of of good faith in, engaged in in negotiating that. If it was law to, if it was law a year ago, George Floyd would still not be with us. A lot of what it deals with is after the fact accountability after police have killed or harmed one of us, either through uh, registries for police or um, through um, creating the legal conditions where qualified immunity would no longer be a thing. What the Breathe Act focuses on is creating the conditions where police wouldn't harm us to begin with, right? What the Movement for Black Lives has said, what our movement has said is that the fundamental reason, the fundamental driver of of these incidences that are leading to the deaths of Black people is the interactions that we're having with the police. So if you're a white person in a middle-class or upper-middle-class community, 
you largely don't interact with the police at all. Your children don't interact with the police. We know that their children commit crimes, sell drugs, use drugs, make mistakes, all outside of the surveillance of the police and um, criminal legal system, right? They deal with it in their community, however they deal with it. And they understand that young people will be young people. Our children are surveilled by the police every single second. And often because they might have a small amount of marijuana in their pocket, that might be their first entry into the criminal legal system. As you know, once you're marked by the criminal legal system, it's hard to come out of that cycle. Um, and often, oftentimes we're, our, our children and our people are surveilled and harassed by police officers day in and day out. Those interactions and the density of those interactions lead to police misconduct and the murder of our people. So what we're saying is that we need to get at the root, which is why we called for defunding the police, why we called for shifting resources, the scale, scope, and size of the police and their budget, and shifting that and dramatically moving that towards the people. Because we know that community-based, and brother, you know that there's community-based violence interrupters who are on the ground, on the street level, who are doing this because they love their community. That's when you see a lot of the instances of intercommunity violence go down is because the community is putting uh, putting it in our own hands. And we need those folks to have more resources. We need to make sure that people who have mental illness get support. We need to make sure that people who are chemically dependent get some support. It's not a mystery that a significant percentage of the people who end up uh, at the other end of a police, police gun are people who have mental illness, people who have chemi chemical de dependency. So we're saying, let's go to the root. Um, and that's what the BREATHE Act does. And the fact that in this political climate, we may not even get a Justice and Policing Act. That tells you um, where we're at in this country and how much more we need to continue to fight. Right. And, and even if we get it, you already have people compromising on ending qualified immunity. That's right. Which, that's right. which to, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, if there's any teeth in there, that's the only teeth there is. Yeah, that's right. That's one of the one of the few things in the bill that that most people recognize um, would be helpful. Right. But only for accountability. Right. And, and I want to be clear about where the emphasis lies. But that is the one piece that they might actually negotiate out of it if they do pass it. Right. So, again, this is why it's so important that we continue to fight. Right. It's not just about electing people. Right. And then passing the baton on to them. We need to keep the pressure up, which is why we always believe in the power of social movements. Our social movements brought us to this point where we're having these conversations right. where they feel a need in Congress to have to pass something. But we don't simply want to pass something. Right. Right. That's not what people were marching for, to pass anything or to pass something based on an arbitrary deadline. We actually want to change the conditions for black folks so that we could thrive. And that is the standard that we have. And so what what happens next in terms of the Breathe Act or any of the arguments for the provisions of the Breathe Act? Where, where do we go from here as, you know, the George Floyd piece, which, you know, probably is not going to pass anyway. Uh, well, yeah, absolutely. So this is a protracted this is a protracted struggle, right? We're not letting out at all. And you know, the good news is, you know, the reality is policing happens on the on the very very local level. There's tens of thousands of police departments. And so every single day things are happening in Kansas City. The mayor uh just signed a provision that would lead to 47 million dollars going from policing 
into a number of programs. Um, Tashara Jones, not too long ago, became the mayor of St. Louis, and she's already moving to dramatically uh, shrink the, the, the size of the police and the resources are going into the community. Um, again and again, on the local level, you're seeing people pick up the baton, move things forward. You're seeing folks in social movements uh, push politicians in order to take action. So what's going to happen is that on the local, state, and federal level, there's a Breathe Act moving, uh, that's moved through the Illinois um, legislature. There's activity taking place all over the country. And so we're not going to let up. We know that um, it's likely that there'll be obstacles in front of us, but we as Black folks, we've been in this struggle for hundreds of years, right? And so these arbitrary deadlines are not gonna are not gonna slow us down, whether or not we we meet them or not. Um, we have to keep our eye on justice and the structural changes. And the standard for us um, has always been a standard where Black people could thrive in our communities, not just that our government is not killing us, which is one of the most basic standards that any citizen should have, right? And so we we want to create the conditions, which is why we focus on, on investing in the things that make us whole and safe and divesting in the things that harm us. We want to create the conditions where we're moving away from police, jails, and prisons that everybody understands at this point, including independents and Republicans. Folks understand that police, jails, and prisons, the, the current criminal legal system is not working. We spent 40 years in this in this era of mass incarceration, just investing in those things. And so we want to shift the emphasis into people, investing in people and communities. And so that's the future of this movement, right? Not just the defunding and divestment, but also the investment in, in our people. And um, we're going to keep on pushing folks in Congress. It's great that folks like Ayanna Presley um, uh, are, is, is, joining us and introduce the Breathe Act along with Rashida Tlaib. Um, and we're going to need other folks to, to to join us and continue on until we see changes on the federal, state, and, and local level. So for those listening, because there is some confusion, when we say defund, and, and you've articulated it very well today, um, but some have even... Uh, uh, imparted to, to old African-Americans and some old African-Americans have inferred that defund is synonymous with abolish. Um, and the feeling that, you know, defund literally means there will no longer be um, it, crime fighting or protection from criminals, so to speak, in the African-American community in particular. What is your response to those who say that? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. There are, I want to be really clear about this. There are people who are, are police abolitionists, right? Who believe not today, but in some future to create a community that is safe and so connected that we don't need a institution like the police as we understand the police, right? Um, the defund movement includes a lot of folks, including people who understand that things are not working. And that we've experienced more than 40 years of disinvestment from our communities, from Black folks, from, from the commons, from our parks, from our health care, from education, from things that keep our, 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 our kids safe, from youth programs, from summer jobs. We've seen 40 years of disinvestment from that. 
while we've seen 40 plus years of investment in jails, police, and prisons that have caused devastation in our communities, broken family ties. It's been it's been a uh, a human rights and a civil rights violation on our, our on our people. Any black person who has lived in a black community and has black family has been touched by the war on drugs, by mass incarceration. So what we're saying is that those things are harmful. Black folks, older black folks, young black folks know that. And we also know that making sure that there's more money for youth programs, making sure that there's money for organizers who are doing the 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 interruption of the cycle of violence on the ground, we know that that works too. And so that's really what we're talking about. I think we need to, as a community, absolutely engage in the visionary conversation that folks like Marian Kaba and other folks have, have really led around what would it look like if we had a future community where we were able to deal with harm and we were able to create safety so we wouldn't need people with guns patrolling us. But today we need to start with shifting the paradigm and focusing on the root causes of what is harming us. That's what this conversation is about. And you know, if it, if it wasn't for the defund movement and and the campaign, we wouldn't be engaging in these these critical conversations and these these debates. More MIP after this message. Do you? agree with those who say the defund rhetoric um was costly in the past election I, I i i don't agree with that but i'm wondering if how you feel about that oh i i vehemently disagree with that for multiple reasons right um so i'm the national director of the working families party i spend most of my time focusing on electoral issues um, I've been a, a organizer within the movement for Black Lives since 2014. So both of these issues, both the deeper movement and policing and elections and winning elections, something that that is very, very close to me. There's been no data to show that the defund movement did anything to harm <laughs> to harm the electoral um, pursuits of anybody. Right. The reality is the movement, the largest social movement in our country's history. Social movements are not designed in order to ensure that one political party or another is able to get over the top, right? Social movements are designed to change our culture in order to, to shift paradigms, in order to surface problems in our society. And as a social movement, the movement, the Black movement has been successful. Good job. Now, political parties and politicians, their job, on the other hand, is to figure out for their district, right? What are the messages? What are the appeals in order to make sure that they get through? That's the job of every single, uh, every single leader, every single member of Congress. And look, we, or, we already know that Republicans and the far right, they are going to reliably use dog whistles and some, sometimes racist megaphones. Law and order, that's nothing new, okay? Uh, calling people socialists, that's nothing new. Using black people as scapegoats, that's nothing. You, you know, you know, like uh, Willie Horton and those ads that they used before and, and using the, the fear of, of law and order in order to move uh, white people based on their anxieties to vote for Republicans. Look, that is as old as this country. White grievance and, and fear and the far right using those tactics. So, the, so Democrats have to figure out 
every cycle how to challenge those tactics. And they can't scapegoat Black folks or our movements when they don't succeed. It's up to them to, to be introspective and to learn lessons about their wins and losses. And you know, one of the things I always say about, about uh, electoral wins and losses, victories, uh, there's a thousand parents. Losses are off, all, they're, they're often orphaned, uh, but they're often orphaned on the doorstep of Black folks. So yeah, like yeah. when we lose, they always say, well, Black turnout, right? <laughs> it, there always is an angle where Black people have to account for the losses of, of Democrats, right? When they win, it's everybody's win. And yeah. so I, I, I take great, uh, I, I take a great umbrage to that characterization. And there's no, there's been no data. It's just how people have been feeling. And uh, I think it, it would make more sense for them to deal with uh, how they're going to win in 2022. And we know that that's going to be a, uh, a critical election where there's going to be a lot of efforts to take the party uh, from in power out of power. And they're going to need to figure out what their appeal is. And they can't scapegoat our movement um, when they need to actually focus on winning. Well, if anything, um, defund helped to not only mobilize the black electorate to get out to vote as much as ever, if not more. Oh, oh, and that's right. And 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 not just the black electorate, but the millennial and Gen Z electorate. I mean, that was 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 energetic. And and I think that's what people need to to understand. Um, um, and, and that's really what's going to make the difference. If you come to, and then, but see, here's the irony. (laughs) Um, the Republicans in the Capitol police budget bill voted to defund the Capitol police. That's right. That's right. I mean, there's irony on top of irony, right? (laughs) Uh, so, uh, uh, Brother Mark, so yes, uh, that's one thing I didn't say. So thank you for reminding me. 26 million people hit the streets and all over the country, in every single state, including places like Wyoming, places where there weren't a lot of Black folks. Those people, and this is not conjecture, a significant component of those people moved into action, moved into political action, voted, um, organized, ensured that people could 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 vote in communities like Atlanta and Philly and Milwaukee and Detroit, places that really mattered in the election. So the, it's actually, again, I, that's one thing that I'm glad you brought up. It's actually the opposite. When you look at the electoral impact, there's been studies that shown that places that had large mobilizations, there was an uptick in uh, both Black turnout and, and voter registration of young people. So again, social movements, Bringing people into the fold, that's a good thing for our democracy. And anybody who um, cast any aspersions to that happening, I think, you know, um, it's unfortunate. Now, yes, there's so much irony around the law and order, the law and order far right. I mean, come on. You can't, I mean, you can't script this. Look what's happening right now, the debate that they're having in Congress, right? Um, The far right and the Republicans often like to say back the blue. They have an opportunity to do that on so many levels, simply to investigate the murder of police officers. We've all witnessed the January 6th uh, attack of the, of, the, of the Capitol simply to investigate it. That would seem like the most bipartisan effort ever. When, when the United States was attacked on 9-11, there was a bipartisan effort to figure out what happened. This was another terrorist attack, this time a domestic terrorist attack. 
and it's being politicized, right? You had officers recently write a letter, dozens of officers, uh, Capitol Police officers, write a letter to Congress calling for the investigation. Republicans are silent, right? And so they're, they're very convenient with their back the blue rhetoric. There's no consistency there, right? Um, them and their folks are, are perfectly comfortable attacking police officers when it gets in the way of the one thing that they're concerned with. The only thing that the far right is concerned with is, is keeping power, consolidating power, and making sure others can't have any of their power. That's it. And so, yeah, they'll twist themselves into all types of pretzels in order to maintain power. That's, that's the bottom line. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it's interesting. They want to make a false equivalency to the BLM movement and what was going on in the streets last summer. But uh, BLM and those them didn't kill any police. Everything was nonviolent. Uh, oh, in, in fact, and they don't report about this. There were white supremacists like on the West Coast that had killed police during the during those mobilizations. Right, right, right. Uh, and so for them now uh, to be in denial about that, it shows the hypocrisy. And uh, you have a police force now. Now, see, that's the situation is different from ours. Mm-hmm. Capital police have a very specific job. They're supposed to make sure, technically, the folks just don't roll up in the Capitol and kill members of Congress. I mean, that's pretty <laughs> that's pretty straightforward. It's not, right. you know, they, they don't get called in uh, like the police do against us for any and everything. They're right. supposed to specifically protect you. So I don't even know the wisdom of letting people know that it's supposed to physically protect you. We don't give a damn and not going to give you your money. I wouldn't do that. More MIP after this message. The other thing that's very, very interesting about uh, defund uh, Brother Maurice and, and, and something I say, and, and uh, feel free to critique me on this, but this is an argument I often make to some of our own people, in, including some in the older generation. Oh, we need the police. We don't need to defund or whatever. Mm-hmm. L- let's let's be real about it. Black tax dollars fund these police departments. That not only kill us, Maurice, but don't provide really any real service. Yeah. And, I, and every time I ask this question, a crowd of people said, "This last time you called the police for service, somebody broke in your house, stole your car, whatever, and you actually got service delivered. When was that? When does that happen? When? When? If, when? If, where? Are, what are police doing to find missing and murdered black people?" particularly black women. So you're paying for a service. It's not even to remember the song. People have to forget the song. 911 is a joke. That's right. <laughs> so they're not even, so even they stop, oh, so we don't stop killing black folk. Well, guess what? Y'all still ain't doing nothing. When was the last time Maurice? Let me, let me put this a certain way for sake of argument. I mean, we know they're, they're criminals in every culture. We know they're folks out here gangbang. We know their brothers out here gangbang. What's that time somebody had a video or a news story or saw the police running up on some gangbangers that might have committed drive-by shooters? They don't run up on that. And you know why? Here's the other thing. And I say this to people as well, my brother. A lot of the people out here slinging in the streets, they actually go and recruit and flip them so that they're even on the payroll. So our tax dollars are even paying for the criminals, so-called criminals that they're supposed to be catching and protecting us from. So they're killing those of us who aren't criminals and paying those who are criminals. 
And so when we t- and whenever I say that to people on the defund, it's oh, I ain't defund. They, they get real quiet. They don't have nothing else to say. So you all are financing really a criminal enterprise because it does not serve us at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, there's so much there. I mean, one of the things that I mean, this is something that we know, like if you if you live in a black community or have lived in a black community. Right. Then you understand the fact that it's not like police and black communities are the most heavily policed communities you could imagine. It's not like police are stopping intervening and preventing cycles of harm or stopping crime before it happens or stopping violent crime before it happens. That doesn't happen. That's not realistic. And it's not as though police are solving all of these incidences, especially as it relates to to Black folks. One thing we do know is that they're causing a lot of harm, right? Because, I mean, if you are Black, you have, or if you are Black and lived in a Black community, or if you are Black just in general, it's very likely that you have experienced harm, right, through police. And it's also very likely that you have not experienced justice through the police, right? Think about that. Think about how much harm they must be committing that so many of us, almost to the person, have experienced a bad interaction, have gotten beaten up, have been wrongfully arrested, have been stopped and frisked, wrongfully jailed. So there's a lot of activity on regular folks just trying to get through their day being harassed and humiliated and very little activity going through preventing cycles of harm and violence, making us safe, right? So this is not working, right? And the second thing that you said, I think is really powerful. In any democracy, the military and the police should be under civilian control. So if we call this place a democracy and we and we claim that black people are citizens and are free people, then the police work for us, right? We should not be occupied by them. But we know that that's not true. We know that we basically are experiencing what people experience when they're subject to an occupying force. We don't tell we don't tell the police what to do. They tell us what to do. And so we're calling for democracy. We should be able to decide how much of our city's budget goes to what programs. Yeah. And if you want to just take all of the politics out of it, all of the studies have shown investments in youth jobs and the tr- what that translates into, into reductions in, in crime and harm. Investments in street-level violence interruption where people are having conversations before the a conflict escalates into violence and people are doing the work in order to, to mitigate that harm and de-escalate the conflict. That's the work that people think police are doing. That's actually community members doing that. Those community members need more resources. Um, mental health. People, how many people have called 911 because somebody that they love, somebody in their community is experiencing a mental health episode, which is a, a a public health crisis, right? This is a health issue, not a criminal issue. But then a armed police officer is coming in without the training, without the support, and escalating and making it a criminal and violent interaction. So we, look, we know <laughs> what works and what doesn't work based on our lived experience. And we understand that there's this, um, that there's this narrative around, well, what are we going to do? We need, the, we need the police. No, we need to be safe. So let's focus on safety and figure out what are the things that will keep us safe. Nobody wants to be subject to crime. Nobody wants to be subject to harm. 
We all want to be in safe communities. Let's focus on safety and let's figure out the things that we know if we invested in will keep us safe. Lastly, brother Maurice Mitchell, um, you were the Working Families Party. M4BL Movement for Black Lives is involved in electoral justice, even had a convention uh, and whatnot. Um, talk to us about that intersection and, and what you see coming now. Um, and myself being one of the co-founders of the most recent black political party to have ballot status back in the 90s in Washington, D.C., the Moja Party. I, I'm always uh, curious and intrigued and mobilized around any discussion about uh, what is electoral and our people's role in the electoral process and, and what we sh what we can and should do. So talk to us a little bit about that. Well, this is an exciting time for the merging of social movements and, and electoral justice, right? A lot of times we've been in different lanes and sometimes we haven't figured out how to merge the urgency of social justice um, with using electoral tools. I remember the emoji part. I was in DC uh, during those days. And uh, right now the movement for black lives and the working families party actually uh, uh, is working on a collaboration. The electoral justice project of the Movement for black lives and the working families party put together the justice fund. And we put it together because we saw entities like the fraternal, the fraternal order of the police and other police concerns um, basically use their influence and money in order to basically bribe and force local elected officials not to uh, move police accountability. So what we decided to do was like, we were gonna put our fund together and all of those folks that were raising their hands and saying that it's time for accountability, it's time to move resources to our people, we're going to support them. We're going to endorse them and get them elected on the hyper-local level. So in the next few weeks, you'll be seeing a slate. Um, you know, there's uh, India, uh, India Walt Walton, who's, um, who's running in, in, in Buffalo. Uh, there's exciting candidates in Texas that are running. You're going to see a slate of candidates that are ready to, to take a stand. And we know that they're going to face backlash, which is why we need to support them and flank them, get them into office. But then once they're in the office, uh, we're going to need to continue to support them. Sisters like Tashara yeah. Jones, right. when she's doing that work, we know that they're going to get backlash. We need to support them through that. So the movement for Black Lives, I know all around the country, is going to advance this work using electoral strategies. And uh, the uh, the Working Families Party is going to be right there with the movement for Black Lives using our tools in order to make sure that true progressives who stand up for our people get the support that they need in order to do the work. And then once they're in office, we hold them accountable to uh, making sure that that stance translates to policy. And when they pass that policy, we stay with them when we know backlash is going to come. You you all uh, have endorsed in, in the New York City uh, mayor's race. Um, and folks, I know that's local to us here, but it has national implications. You in, endorsed the two women, I believe, uh, Maya Wiley, and uh, uh, Diana uh, Morales, I believe. Um, uh, I'm, I'm correct about that, right? right that's correct. Yeah. So did, in terms of the national implications, what what's the working family, and forgive me for not knowing this, what's the working family party's uh, position on this ranked choice voting that's going to take place for the first time in, in NYC? We've seen it in smallest jurisdictions, but it's, it's big now because it's a big 8 million person in New York, and this is... The big time, it's on the lights on Broadway. What, what do you think about that ranked choice vote? We're generally supportive of ranked choice voting because right. it gives it gives voters more choice and it it prevents the spoiler dilemma 
right? Where uh, you have to focus on one candidate, even if you like another, and you could actually rank the the level of interest that you have in candidates. And to me, it creates a more vibrant democracy, more choice. It allows for people with really interesting ideas uh, that maybe in a traditional campaign would be considered niche. It allows them to be able to really um, provide something to the debate. So we think ranked choice generally is a great uh, reform. We believe in a number of reforms. Right, right. As you know, we are a third party. We have ballot access in a, a number of states, including New York. And, you know, we think one of the challenges, and we think that it's it's a challenge for, for Black folks, is the two-party system, the rigid two-party system, right? And we need to break down all of the the really strong um, legal regimes that, that kind of hold in place the two-party duopoly, right? And we need to open up political choice. So anything that does that, um, and I'd love to talk to you more about that stuff, because there's so many reforms that allow that to happen from from uh, uh, fusion voting to rank choice to multi-member districts to rank choice with multi-member districts. These are all ways that uh, pe people with great ideas aren't blocked out by the two-party duopoly, Coke or Pepsi. Right, well, you're absolutely right. Uh, I agree wholeheartedly. Um, and good to see people still holding up the bloodstained banner. Uh, for third parties and independent political parties. We need a multi-party democracy. That's right. A multi-party and multi-racial democracy. That That's, right. That's right. That's right. Maurice Mitchell, m4bl.org uh, and also workingfamilies.org uh, to keep up with everything, the movement for Black Lives and um, the Working Families Party is doing. Brother, this hopefully won't be the last time we chat. Appreciate your work, folks. We have to organize, organize, organize. We can't just tweet. I keep saying that. That's right. Twitter alone, tweeting alone is not going to save us. Arguing right. people on Twitter back and forth and, and trying to one-up people with rhetoric on Twitter is not the solution. That's social media, not social movement. We need to educate, organize, and mobilize. And organizing requires discipline. It, it requires being involved. It requires being accountable. All right. Practicing democracy within the movement itself. Twitter is not a platform for democracy. All right. So, folks, please, please, please get involved in the movement for black lives. Get involved in the Working Families Party. Join some organization. Lord have mercy. Uh, read Kwame Ture and what he had to say. Right. Yeah, Kwame, I was about to say Kwame Ture. He said it. Organize, organize, organize. That's right. All of our success, all of our movements have had organization behind them that have been successful. Right. All right. So please, please, please. Uh, and it doesn't have to be the organization. Everybody else is in, everybody agrees. But join some organization. That's right. All right. Thank you, Brother Maurice Mitchell. All right. Good to be here. Looking forward to you again. Thanks for getting woke and listening to Make It Plain. Please remember to listen, like, subscribe. And wherever you get your podcasts, please give the show a five-star rating. And please do spread the word. Let's all continue to pray for each other during this pandemic and this police-demic. If all hearts and minds are clear, it has been made plain.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. 